If you love Jesus, can you give him a shout of praise in this place today? Come on. If God has done anything in your life, he is worthy to be praised. Can we give him some more praise? Come on. Amen, amen, amen. I am so excited to be here. Seriously, you guys have such an incredible team here at One Family Church. Pastor Brent is one of the most incredible godly men that I have ever had the honor of meeting. I actually went through a pretty tough season of life about a year ago, and he was willing to take some time. We actually met here. We took a walk around U-City. We took a walk around the Loop, and he let me just complain and gripe to him for an hour, and then he encouraged me, and he gave me some godly wisdom. So you guys are in such great hands. I want to give a quick shout-out to the whole team. Uh, Carol Cloud, she's incredible. Tyler, Ron, Pam, they prayed for me. Uh, Ron and Pam prayed for me this morning, and I truly felt like I could just run through a wall after they got done. I was like, let's go. Uh, also, shout out to Grace. She's incredible. She's made me feel so welcome here. God has incredible plans for you and incredible plans for your life. You are absolutely anointed. Uh, but again, so much just respect for one family and for what you guys are doing here. This truly is an incredible church. So could we give your pastoral staff, your team, just a huge round of applause. So honor where honor is due. Um, so I'm from Kentucky. Come on, somebody. So I was raised Pentecostal, but I was educated by the Presbyterians. So you're going to get a lot of flavors this morning. El Shaddai and Emmanuel, you guys are awesome. So good to see you guys. Uh, but seriously, you guys are just absolutely incredible. Also, Pastor Brent, make sure to tell me to, to shout out to Shaw. Can we give Shaw a hand? Come on. Well, I'm going to tell you now. I didn't, I didn't come to play church. I came to experience and encounter the risen Jesus this morning. Amen. And I think God's going to do what only God's going to do. He's going to open up some eyes that have not seen him for who he is. He is the Prince of Peace. He's going to bring some peace to some people here today. And I'm believing that. I think some people who are spiritually dead are going to be raised to new life in Jesus Christ. If you believe it, can you shout? Amen. Amen. Let's pray one more time, and then we're going to jump into God's Word. Lord, thank you so much for your grace and for your love and for your mercy, and thank you so much that you've given us moments like this where we can press into your Spirit. We can press into you. Your Word, it promises if we draw near to you, you are going to draw near to us. So, Lord, right now we are drawing near to you. We are desperate for your Spirit, Lord. We need you in this place today. Lord, I pray that you would open up eyes that have not seen you for who you are, that they would begin to see you as their Father in heaven, who loves them so much that you were willing to give your life so that they could know and experience the love and grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Lord, we need you here today. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen. So according to Jewish history... A rabbi or a teacher would call a disciple by saying to them, follow me. And it meant from that time forward that that disciple's life would drastically and forever change. They were dead to their old life and they would now walk in newness. They would have a new life. They would literally leave, literally leave every single thing behind so that they could follow this rabbi everywhere he went. 
And so what a rabbi would do is he would give his disciples what they called a yoke, which was his set of teachings, his set of teachings, his set of interpretations, uh, his set of rules. And then he would place that yoke upon his disciples with the idea that they would then perpetuate that to future generations. And a rabbi's set of teachings in that day, again, was called his yoke. So that's why Jesus actually says, Come unto me, all you who are uh, uh, weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So around the age of 14 or 15 years old, the young men would finish their schooling, and then the rabbis would go to the schools and they would question these young men, and then they would pick the cream of the crop, the ones who they thought would be able to pass along their yoke. And they would go up to them and use the phrase that Jesus used, follow me. And the rabbi wanted to find out if you had what it took to spread his yoke, his teachings. And then again, the new disciples would leave every single thing behind and follow their teacher. And they would study him, and they would watch his mannerisms, they would listen to the way that he taught, and they would try as best as they possibly could to look like their rabbi. This was a big deal. And so parents, this would be like if you're sending your kid off to college, and you're like, go learn all that you can. Go learn, go get wisdom. So what parents would say when their students would set off with this rabbi was, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And the students, this is what it meant. May you follow your rabbi so closely. May you watch him so intently, so passionately. Would you be so close to him that the dirt that he kicks up from his sandals, that would it cover you? May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And I think that should be the desire of every disciple of Christ here today, that we would walk so close to our teacher, to our rabbi, to our savior, that we would be covered in the dust of Jesus. So y'all are in a series here at One Family called Check Your Pace. Would you look at your neighbor and tell them, check your pace. And y'all are examining the rhythms and the habits of Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, we ought to look at Jesus. We ought to look at his tempo. We ought to look at his pace that Jesus set so that we can what? Be like Jesus. If we want to run a race like Jesus, we have to set a pace like Jesus. If we want to move and love and serve like Jesus, we need to examine the life of Jesus and what Scripture teaches us about his postures and his pace so that we can be covered in the dust of our rabbi. And so the verse that you all have been rallying around for this series is Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2, and it says this, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. As Christians, let's recenter our hearts and our minds on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And in doing so, we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will be able to run our race effectively. Because in life, we get hurried, we get rushed. We get distracted. We have soccer games on the weekends. And sometimes work doesn't just end at 5 p.m. We've got family drama. We've got commitments that we make, but we don't really have the time for. We work extra hours so that we can get that promotion, sacrificing time with our family to advance our careers and make some sort of doors of opportunity open up for us. 
And we become busier and busier and slowly and steadily we take our eyes off Jesus and we end up becoming more and more disconnected from our families and more and more disconnected from our Father in heaven. And like Pastor Brent said in week one, he said, sin and busyness, they have the same results. If left unchecked, right, they cut us off from our connection to God. Busyness. And distractions separate us from God and the life that he desires for us. Or put another way by this great theologian and philosopher, Ice Cube. He says, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Would you look at your neighbor and tell him, check yourself before you wreck yourself. If you aren't careful... If you continue to live the way that you live, busy, distracted, hurried, you're going to find yourself living a life that you don't want to live and one that God did not design for you. Jesus teaches us there's a better way. There's a better way to carry the weight. There's a better way to carry our burdens. There's a better way of life, and that is the way of Jesus. Slow, intentional, confident, relaxed, fully trusting in our Heavenly Father and covered in the dust of our rabbi. So week one, Pastor Brent, he discussed slowing, right? He talked about Jesus slowed things down. He was intentional in a hurried world. Week two, he talked about silence and solitude. And this morning, I want to switch gears uh, just a little bit, but I want to stay within the heart and the intention of our series. We're going to switch things up just a little bit. So scripture teaches that man's highest purpose, that the chief end of man, our highest purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. We as followers of Jesus, we can know God, we can be known by God, and we can play, us, fallen, sinful, broken people, we can play a part in the redemptive work of God here on earth. That's amazing. But I don't know about you guys, but I don't wake up every single morning and say, yes, today is another day that I get to know God and be known by Him and glorify Him forever. That's just not the first thing that runs through my mind. Scripture teaches we have an enemy, and that enemy does not want you to know or understand your purpose. He doesn't want you to know or understand God more intimately. The enemy does not want you to know and experience the grace and peace of a life lived with God. And there is an obstacle that the enemy uses to distract you and to sidetrack you and keep you from becoming who God created you to be. When you wake up or you're just going through your day-to-day, what goes through your mind? I work predominantly with, with college students and young adults. I'm the campus minister at Missouri Baptist University. It's usually something like this. Well, I got to study for the test, and I got to get good grades, and I got to pick the right major, and I got to get an internship. What am I going to do for the rest of my life? How am I going to make money? I need to get a job. What if I need to go move to a new city? What if it's not a right fit for me? Now I got to find a friend group. What if nobody likes me? What if I can't find a place to live? Now I found a place to live, but now I need roommates. What if my roommates don't like me? Now there's roommate drama. And now I've got to keep them on social media, Facebook. Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, I don't know. Do people still use that? Now I want to meet somebody. Snapchat, Bumble, Tinder, Hinge. Go on one date, two dates, three dates, four dates. Am I going to propose? Is she going to say yes? Am I going to marry this person? How are we going to find a house in this market? Houses are expensive. The water heater breaks. Home insurance, life insurance, diapers. It's just more and more stuff. And then we turn on the news. Or we open up our phone, social media, turn on the news, wars, bombings, shootings, pandemics, vaccines. Do I get it? Do I not get it? Mask? Do I wear one? Do I not? Anybody else? Nowhere in that. 
Did we question if God exists or if Jesus is real? We just get distracted with life, and it gets busy, and it makes us anxious, and then we neglect our spiritual growth and our relationship with God. And often it isn't even our problems that are the problems. It's our anxiety about our problems that become the problem. So that's what I want to talk about today. Hurry leads to anxiety. Listen to this. Jesus tells a story of a man who's scattering seed. And some seed is scattered among thorns. And it grows. And it's choked out by the other plants. And he later reveals the meaning of this parable. This is what he says in in, in the Gospel of Matthew. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word. But the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word, making it unfruitful. Jesus reveals that it can be worry, it can be anxiety that hinder us from hearing and receiving God's word and living out our callings as followers of Jesus. Did you know that? A few days ago, I was actually asked by an organization to come in and give a talk to some executives and directors and and, and pastors here in St. Louis on Gen Z. And talk about social and religious trends. If you're unfamiliar, Generation Z is the largest generation in American history. It's those born between 1998 and 2012. And the first post-Christian generation in American history. Here's some statistics that I think are going to absolutely stagger you that I came across as I was preparing for that talk. According to the World Health Organization, since COVID-19... There has been a 21% increase in depression and anxiety worldwide. According to the CDC, depression affects 18 million people. Anxiety affects 40 million people between the ages of 18 and older. That is one in three adults. Each day, approximately 110 Americans take their own life. Roughly 3,500 attempt to do so because of depression and anxiety. Listen to this, in in 2022, 30% of teen girls, 12% of teen boys suffer from clinical level depression and anxiety. The teen suicide rate doubled from 2007 to 2019. And for those in their 20s, it jumped up 41%. Let that sink in. Twice as many teens killed themselves in 2019 than just 12 years before that. And three times as many kids, fourth grade to ninth grade. That means in 12 years, nearly 18,000 kids and young adults took their own lives. That is almost 1,300 a year. This is a problem. Many of us are not experiencing the power and the presence of God because the worries and busyness of life are choking out the word of life. Busyness and anxiety can lead us to do things that we wouldn't do otherwise, right? Anxiety about grades, any college students in here, can lead us to be dishonest, if we're honest, right? How many, how many of us have been at the end of our rope? We're racked with anxiety, racked with worry about a grade, and it leads us to cheat. Rutgers University did a study of 32 universities and found that 74% of business students and 68% of all students Admitted to cheating on a test. Are any business majors in here? Just kidding. Don't put your hand up. 68% of all students across the board admitted to cheating on a test or exam. Anxiety about dating can lead to compromise. Many of y'all know you shouldn't be dating the person you're dating right now. If you're with them right now, don't look at them. Just look at me. Don't, don't, 
Don't get weird, make it weird in here. You can do that afterward on the ride home to lunch. Right? It, it gives us some anxiety, and you're thinking, well, I'm, I'm getting older. The clock is ticking. So you've overlooked a lot of red flags because you're anxious about being alone. You used to say, I want a man of the cross. And now you've settled for a guy with a tattoo of a cross. You're compromised. Anxiety leads us to compromise. We have to deal with this for the sake of our hearts, Christians. The world is not impressed if we sing about the Prince of Peace but we live our lives stressed out and hyper busy. So can we get into God's word this morning? Let's go to our passage today. We're going to be in John chapter 14, verse 27. Look at what Jesus says here. Peace. Come on, somebody. I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So context matters here. What's going on in this passage? Jesus is saying in in a busy, overstimulated, anxious culture, we need peace. So he's talking to his disciples here. And Jesus says this. And he says he's, he's going away. That's what he says before he says this. He's going away. Uh, And it prompts the disciples to ask some questions. They've got some doubts. Jesus knows what awaits him in the coming days. He's going to be arrested. He knows this. And he tells his disciples, I'm going away. But he isn't going to leave them alone. He's not going to leave them like orphans. He said, I'm always going to be with you, always to the end of the age. But this is a hard pill to swallow for these young men. They've been following Jesus for three years, eating with him, laughing with him seeing miracle after miracle, listening to him. They're students. They've been being shaped by their rabbi for three years, and now he says he's going to leave them. I don't know about you, but I can feel the anxiety set in. They're probably like, wait, what? What does this mean for us? What does this mean for me? What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? Is the gang breaking up? Are we ever going to see each other again? Have you ever been there when you get bad news and then you spiral and then you get busy trying to fix everything in your own power. And I think Jesus knows this is our natural human propensity. And so as he says, I'm going away, but I'm not going to leave you. And before they can get too anxious and freak out, he says, but hold on. Peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. And that word that he uses there is shalom. We've got a slide. And so the definition is is the harmony and calmness of body, mind, and spirit that supersedes earthly circumstances. The peace that God gives is not the absence of trials or even busyness, but it's joy and it's calmness in the midst of them. And notice what Jesus says. This isn't peace that the world gives. The world gives peace, right? Guns, police, 401ks, retirement plans, health insurance, bomb shelters, neighborhood watches, safety nets, workout plans. The world gives peace in a lot of ways, and I'm thankful for all of those. But Jesus says, that's not the kind of peace that I give. I'm not going to give you a kind of peace that can be taken away. I'm not going to give you a kind of peace that is circumstantial. He's saying, the peace that I give you is whenever the locks are broken, the mob comes, the bubble bursts, you lose your savings, you, you get injured, your friends leave you, and your cross is on the horizon. 
You have peace in the midst of it. The peace that Jesus gives is not circumstantially based. It is peace that emerges despite the circumstances. It's peace when the waves are crashing, the boat is sinking. It's peace when your boyfriend or girlfriend texts you, we need to talk. It's peace when you screw up. It's peace when you lose. It's peace when you get fired. It's peace when you fail the test. It's peace when you suffer loss. It is a peace that passes all understanding. And look at what Jesus says just a few chapters later in John. I've said these things to you that you may have peace. Because in the world, you will have tribulation. You'll have troubles. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. If you're thankful for that, can you give Jesus a shout of praise today? Jesus tells us. You're going to face troubles in life. Life is going to be busy. It's going to be messy. It is going to be complicated. That is a fact of life. It will. But he says take heart because he's overcome the world. And for many of us, we're not experiencing the power of God. Because busyness, because worry and anxiety are choking out the word of God in our life. I want to tell, tell a story I actually came across in, in some of my study a, a few months back. In one of the early Greek manuscripts from the first century of the Christian era, there's a record of a man named Titidias Amarimnas. We've got that up for you. Titidias Amarimnas. So scholars agree that Amarimnas was not a common uh, cultural name back then. In this time, it's a baptismal name. So back in the New Testament, when you become a Christian... It wasn't uncommon to be given a new name, right? Simon becomes Peter. Uh, 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 Saul becomes Paul. We've got Barnabas. Barnabas wasn't his real name. It means son of encouragement because that's what he was like. So Titidios is his first name, like James or or Matthew. But Amarimnos, again, is is, is, is a surname. It describes his character, so Marimnos, oh come on, this is getting some of y'all excited here. Marimnos is Greek for worry or anxious. So also in the Greek language, if you want to emphasize the negative of a word, you put a before it, right? So we, we atheist, right? We know that word. Theist uh, means, you know, belief in God. Ah means don't believe in God, theos. So in this case, ah, Marimnos means doesn't worry, not anxious. Oh, come on. So after this guy becomes a follower of Jesus, people take a look at his life and say, we're going to start calling you Titidios Amarimnos. That means Titidios, the man who does not worry. How many of us, though, how many of us could say that's our name? Maybe not. Right now, but hopefully by the end of this this message in this series, I hope that you can say that about yourself. So where do we start? How do we calm our busy, anxious minds and find rest in Jesus? I've only got uh, two points. I've actually got 22. Who wants all 22? All right, two people. Uh, We'll stick with two. Number one, prayer. I'm not reinventing the wheel here, guys, right? We're going to get, in, get back to the basics. But I read, a, I read an article in the Wall Street Journal. I'm going to read an excerpt from it. It's, it's fascinating. 
So in the Journal of Behavioral Medicine, comparing secular, so, so atheistic, and spiritual forms of meditation, so focusing on God, they found that spiritual meditation to be more calming. In secular meditation, you focus on something such as your breathing or a non-spiritual word. In spiritual meditation, you focus on a spiritual word or text. Uh, uh, so they're, they're actually going to do a, a study. They're comparing two groups of people, people who pray uh, to nothing and people who pray to God. And they're going to see what happens. I wonder. So participants were divided into two groups, and some were asked to meditate on using words of self-affirmation, which is, is very new age. A lot of our young adults, a lot of Gen Z like to do this, words of affirmation. So they would say, I am love. And then there was the other group who would meditate on the words, God is love. And they were asked to meditate for 20 minutes a day for four weeks. Listen to this. Researchers found that the group that practiced spiritual meditation showed greater decreases in anxiety, stress, busyness, and they had a more positive mood. They also tolerated pain twice as long when asked to put their hand in an ice water bath. So some scientists who study prayer believe that people who pray are benefiting from a feeling of support. Listen to this. This is a quote in the Wall Street Journal. Imagine carrying a backpack hour after hour. It will start to feel impossibly heavy, but if you can hand it off to someone else to hold for a while, it will feel a lot lighter. This is what prayer does, says Amy Walkholtz. She's the associate professor of clinical and health psychology director at the University of Colorado in Denver. She was the lead researcher on this study. Listen to her conclusion about prayer and spiritual meditation. Not a Christian. It lets you put down your burden mentally for a bit and rest. So science is catching up to what we've known. For thousands of years, the ancient art of prayer and talking to God. Look at what Paul says in Philippians. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, by supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This guy who wrote this, I don't know if you know Paul, knew a thing or two about anxiety. He was shipwrecked, uh, I think it was three times. I don't even know how that happens. I would just stop getting on boats at that point. <laughs> he was arrested a number of times, beaten uh, almost to death multiple times, and then eventually executed. So this guy knows a thing or two about anxiety, and this is what he says, don't be anxious but in everything, give it to God with a thankful heart. You can let your requests be made known to God. That's the point. When you're shipwrecked, when you're beaten, when you're in prison, when you get the bad grade, whenever your boyfriend or girlfriend dumps you, when you don't get the job, says, don't be anxious. Because there's a God, and he's mighty, and he's powerful, and he's wonderful, and you can talk to him. <laughs> and he's listening. 1 Peter 5 says this, cast your cares because he cares. 
As Christians, when we're at our lowest point, Scripture tells us that we can take our anxieties, we can take our worries, and we can give them to God. We can talk to Him. We can cast our burdens upon the Lord because He cares. Number two, the presence of God. Practice the presence of God. How can we be free from worry and anxiety and busyness? Practice the presence of God. So what he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, but I give to you. Let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Did you know that you're not alone? One of the worst parts about being anxious and busy is this feeling of isolation. You feel alone, you feel siloed, you feel like the world is caving in and the enemy wants you to believe that God is far and that God is distant, but God is telling us here, I give you peace and I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, I will be with you always to the end of the age. And we know James chapter 4 tells us, draw near to God and what? He's going to draw near to you. So if you want to experience peace, I recommend you get to know the Prince of Peace and you practice walking in the presence of God. We can have peace. We can know peace because of the lengths that Jesus was willing to go so that we could experience peace. You and I, we were lost before Jesus. We were far off. We were hostile to God and all his ways. And God looked upon us with mercy and compassion. So much so, he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to take our penalty, our punishment, to pay our debt so that we could be free from debt, so that we could have life, we could know love, we could experience grace and forgiveness. Jesus absolves us of our debt and we are restored to the presence of God. If you want to know peace, you got to know God. If you want peace, you can have a relationship and walk with the Prince of Peace. God doesn't promise that he's going to fix every little problem, but he promises that he will be with you in the midst of every single problem you have. You are not alone. You can have peace because we can experience the presence of God. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, come on, there is freedom freedom from busyness, freedom from anxiety. Our souls can rest in the presence of God. Psalm 62, David says this, yes, my soul finds rest in God alone. Not in things of this world, but in God Almighty. And we can have and experience that same kind of rest. I'm concluding now. I landed the plane. Our identity is secured in Jesus. We don't have to be busy. We don't have to hurry ourselves. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to prove anything to anyone. As followers of Jesus, our identity is secured in him. Our worth and our value is not secured in how busy we are and what office we have and how much money we make a year. Our worth and our value is secured in the cross of Jesus Christ. We don't have to perform because the performance was already done on our behalf. Amen? I want to leave us with this quote from Brother Lawrence. He wrote this book. He was a monk, and he wrote this book, The Practice of the Presence of God. Let us think often that our only busyness in this life is to please God. That all besides all other things is but folly and vanity.
The only busyness that we should be seeking after and chasing is to know God more deeply and to experience his presence more heavily. And I think there's someone in here and you're carrying a burden and you're carrying a weight that you were never meant to carry. You were never intended to carry this. And that's why Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I'm going to give you rest. Some of you in here just need, like that illustration, to just take the backpack off and give it to someone else. Someone stronger, someone bigger, someone mightier who can carry that load. And so I encourage you this morning to make that decision. I'm carrying too much, and I can't do it. And I'm busy and I'm anxious and I'm overwhelmed. Just say in your seat right now, just say, Jesus, I need you. If you want to know peace and rest from this busy and anxious world, you got to know the Prince of Peace. And you can know him this morning, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what sin, no matter what you were doing last night. Jesus loves you and wants to draw you into a relationship with him. If you would say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I believe in you. You can be made new and you can have peace. Jesus says, come to me. If you're busy, if you're tired, if you're worn out, come to me. And I want you to know, I want to leave you with this, that you can know peace because you can know God. Let's pray and then our our team is going to lead us in worship. Lord, thank you so much again, for your grace and for your love and for your mercy. And thank you so much that we can know peace because we can know you. And Lord, if there's anybody in here that does not know you, Lord, I pray that that changes in the next three minutes and 32 seconds, that they would just come to know you and that they would lay their burdens down at the cross. And for all of us in here, would we have new strength and new life as we go into this week? Not busy and worried and anxious, but full of grace and peace, knowing that you love us. Lord, would you be with us? Would you be with this church? In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.